Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Woo! Man, they knew how to build buildings when they built this sanctuary. You need to know where to sit in the wings. Because I'm sitting in there on the wing and it's, I feel this beautiful gust of air. I'm going, oh, what a refreshing thing. Thank you, Lord. What a breath of fresh air. All right, let's make sure we get this all set. All right, question for you. How many of you have ever worked with children? Just, just a show of hands. Okay, okay, good. That's just about everyone in this room. You've, you've worked with children because you've either volunteered in our children's ministries or maybe you're a teacher and you've worked with, with students that way and children that way, um, or you're a parent of children. We are parents of three beautiful, handsome, wonderful, energetic, lovely, fun-loving boys. And uh, we try never to just say no. Our hope is always to give an instruction and the reason behind the instruction, right? We, we say, okay, boys, we're, we're going to go to the grocery store because we're out of milk and fruit and vegetables. We often go to the grocery store because feeding three boys has become a a financial investment on a weekly, sometimes double weekly basis. And so we tell them, hey, we got to go to the grocery store. We're out of milk, we're out of fruit, vegetables. And immediately, it's almost as if they didn't hear the, the reason why. The first thing that sometimes comes out of their mouth is, why do we have to go to the store? Didn't I? I thought I answered that question, didn't I? Did you not? Did, did the words that came out of my mouth go in one ear and then right out the other? Right? It's not uncommon for us to give an answer and the reason and still ask the question, why? Or what's happening? Or I missed something. And Paul's letter to the Romans is a perfect example of him anticipating questions and giving the answers. Because he knows that people are thinking logically and they're thinking carefully about what he's saying, about the gospel that he's proclaiming to them. And we started this journey in Romans several months ago. And we started in chapter 1. And and just as a, as a, a quick overview and a reminder, remember the letter is... Paul's letter to the Romans is written to all who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And Paul authors this letter as he's in Corinth on his third missionary journey, about 57 AD, and the, the audience that he's writing to is a mixed audience of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. We know because in Acts, Luke tells us that there were Gentile Christians that became believers at Pentecost and went back, went to Rome. And so we know that there is a Jewish community of faith that believes in Jesus that's in Rome. Now, interesting, interestingly enough, and it's important to note this, because uh, about 49 AD, Emperor Claudius issues a decree and requires all Jews, Jews and Jewish Christians to leave Rome. And overnight, just like that, the church is 100% Gentile for several years. 
By the time Paul writes this letter in in about 57 AD and it arrives in Rome, the Jewish community is allowed back in Rome. And if you can imagine tension in a room about what to do and how to do and when to do between two parties, this probably was a little bit of the church in Rome. Maybe, maybe picture you know, President Donald Trump in a room next to Hillary Clinton in a room, right? They have two very different perspectives on how to run a country and how to lead. And maybe that tension is, maybe it's a little too much, but you get the idea that the Jewish Christians are now holding on to the law and they would like to know why the Gentiles are not required to live by the law. And Paul is working through this wonderful gospel, this wonderful theological treatise that teaches us, that asks questions and answers them for us. And last week, the question that we looked at started in chapter 9, and it, it's the question of, has God's word failed? Has God's word failed? Or another way of saying it, has it fallen flat on its face? And Paul tells us, absolutely not. It's alive and well, and it's true. He even uses, he says in, in, uh, in verse 11, he says that God's purpose in election might stand God's word is true. It hasn't fallen. It stands firm on God's character and his goodness and his compassion and his mercy. And it's not by our works that God elects us. Yeah, I use the word election because this is the sermon topic for today that Pastor David has left me with. It's wonderful. I'm super excited about talking about God's election to the frozen chosen in the Presbyterian church, right? Um, (laughs) So here we are, right? Here we are. We're elect. God's called us. What does all that mean? As we read, if you've got your Bible with you, we're in Romans chapter 9. If you were using the the Bible in the pew, it'd be on page 8, I think it's 801. Yeah, that's what I wrote down, 801, but that's neither here nor there. So here we are, and we pick up in in verse 14, and it's the second question that Paul addresses. Verse 14, chapter 9. says, What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. All right, if uh, you're anything like me, you're thinking, wait a minute, Paul, the passage that you used, does it really prove that God is just? The question is, is God unjust? And then Paul tells us, well, God says he'll have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and compassion on whom he wants to have compassion. And I want to ask the question, the follow-up is, what gives God the right to love Jacob and hate Esau? How can that be just? How can that be right and good and fair? The same things that we hear from children. That's not fair. And here I am saying, God, is that really fair? 
is that right and just and holy for you to love Esau or love Jacob and hate Esau? There's something we need to be aware of about this language of loving Jacob and hating Esau. Because it comes in the Hebrew as poetry. It's meant to be poetic. And in our literary minds, we see it and we miss the poetic beauty behind it. All throughout Hebrew poetry, we see these antithesis, this, this thesis and then an antithesis, this and then that, and then this is good and this is bad, this is high and this is low, and we see them as direct opposites. And the author is using that same literary poet, poetic feature to identify that God has called in God's perfect election that's manifested through mercy and compassion that falls on Jacob and not on Esau, that God just passes by. And I want to still say, that's not fair. If I think about what it means to be fair and what it means to receive justice versus receiving God's mercy. Let me tell you an example. Share with you an example of how I received mercy on one evening and not justice because I certainly deserved justice, right? Um, I, like a handful of other men in our congregation, um, have, have learned to love to smoke meat. And uh, one night... I was preparing some brisket, and we ran out of space in our refrigerator, so I had to store the brisket in the youth room refrigerator. Um, and at night, I'm like, oh, I got to go get the brisket. I got to put it in the smoker in the morning. And it's like 9.30, right? It's late. I'm in my pajamas. I was ready to go to bed. I just totally forgot. And so I go in the kitchen, I grab a knife, I put it in a sleeve, I grab saran wrap, I grab all the seasoning, and I I get into my car, I'm in my pajamas, it's 9.30, I head up to the youth room, I go in, and I'm in the youth room making a huge mess on the counter. Huge mess, I'm just carving all the fat, having a good time. So I get it all prepped, and I put it, I wrap it, and I put it in the car with a knife that is now a little bit on the messy side. Right? And it's sitting in the passenger seat. Remember, I left very quickly at night. There was a lot of things I just neglected to grab, um, like a wallet for identification and a driver's license that's in the wallet. And so I'm leaving. It's probably 10.30. It's taking me an hour to prep this. So I got the brisket, and I'm leaving. I'm going home. Go down the alley, and it's nighttime. It's 10.30. There's nobody on the road. And it's fascinating because I... You drive out of this alleyway, and you can, I can see both directions as far as I need to see, so it's clear. And I slow down a little bit, but not enough, probably. And I just, whoop, zip around the corner, and I start heading home. And as I'm driving, there's a car that's behind me. Now you know where the story is going, right? Um, there's a car that's behind me, and I'm going, oh, all right, so let's, let's be kind and you know, stop at the stop signs. I, I, for just a sp- split second, I thought for a moment. I didn't do anything wrong. So why, why would I be pulled over? So it's okay. So that 
left my mind. I get down to Pomona. I'm driving down Pomona. And one of the ways that uh, we pull into our driveway is we back into our driveway because it's easier to get out that way at Pomona because it's super busy. And I pulled into the driveway, just perpendicular to the driveway, to let the vehicle that was trailing me go by. I was trying to be kind. Well, lo and behold, the vehicle behind me pulls in right behind me and turns on his flashing lights. And I'm going, oh, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. I should have been saying, officer, please have mercy. Officer, please have mercy, right? And here I am. I'm, I'm sitting basically in my driveway. I look at my passenger seat. I realize all of the things that are in my passenger seat. There's a messy knife. There's all sorts of meat. And it's looking very precarious, right? And I'm going, oh, boy, this does not look good. And he comes up to the window. I roll down the window. Hi, officer. Good to see you. And he says, before he could even ask the question, may I see your driver's license and registration, I realized, oh, no, I left my wallet. I said, officer, I live right there in the house. I'll go in and get it. And he goes, and then I said, I see that you're looking at my passenger seat. What's that all about? And I tell him the story about all the men that are, I'm trying to keep up with that smoke meat. And he looks at me and he goes, you got either a really great imagination or you're telling me the truth and you actually live there. And he goes, I'm going to have some mercy on you and let you go home. And I went, oh, thank you, Lord, for mercy. Thank you for the mercy that I didn't deserve. What I deserved for what he thought was driving a little bit recklessly was what I deserved was a citation. But he let me off. I'm not lucky. I believe in a God that is merciful and the police officer that was also merciful to me. I think about this question about is God just or is God unjust? And Paul says, not at all. God is absolutely just. He says to the Jewish community, he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It reminds me of the audience that he's speaking to. They would have remembered, the Jewish Christians would have remembered the moment in which God spoke that exact phrase to Moses. And it would have reminded them that God is sovereign over everything. That there is nothing that falls out of God's purview and out of God's control. There's nothing that surprises God in any moment, in any way, or any shape, or any form. It may surprise us, certainly, but it never surprises God. And they would have found assurance in that. I also think about what it meant for the Gentile Christians to have heard that. The observation I make is there was a, an emperor that basically said something very similar in that day. Basically said, I'll do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, and to whomever I want. I am the emperor. I dare you to stop me. See, those, that phrase for Paul meant that God is sovereign. And for the Jewish Christian, it would have taken them back to Moses and the conversation that Moses has with God. And then for the Gentiles, they would have remembered and heard 
that same phrase that it is not the emperor that is sovereign, but it is God who is almighty that is sovereign. We certainly want justice in this world. We want the things that are wrong in this world to be made right. And I believe that's the imprint of the image of God that we are fashioned in, we are formed in, like the potter forms and fashions the clay. When we see things that go wrong, our heart aches because we know that's not right. And we reflect the same heart that God has in the world. And if God is sovereign, which he is, and he elects based on mercy and compassion, then I cannot say God chose me because I am good-looking, because I'm kind, because I've given to the poor, because I've done this. Otherwise, our worship this morning would be worship unto us rather than worship vertically to a God that created and sustains the world. So is God unjust? Absolutely not. God is filled with mercy and compassion for his people. Then the next question is, why does God blame us? As we continue in the reading, verse 16, it does not therefore depend on God's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very person, purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And the question is already forming in their minds. Then one of you will say, why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, born with, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? The question is, and does God blame us? What does Paul say? Who are you, O oh man? Who are you, the created, to question the creator? Now, I don't believe for one moment that Paul is telling us or that God is saying to us to never question and to never ask questions about why God is doing this or that or ask God why don't we why is the world in such disarray as it is I think the question and the answer point to a heart 
that is humble. It is the way and the posture in which we ask the question of God. Because certainly God could say, Who are you, old man? To question and accuse me as Job did. Where were you, Job, when I placed the sun in its position? Where were you, Job, when I placed the mountains and I formed the animals and I made the wind? Where were you, Job? See, Job came at a point where he was asking and accusing God. And God needed to show him his proper relationship with the Creator. This could have been the shortest sermon I've ever preached in in my entire life, or that has ever been preached here at Grand Memorial. Because it could have been simply, and I was reminded this on Friday morning by one of our sister, our sister June McLeod. She goes, Pastor John, this could be the shortest sermon. You just, all you have to say is, you're not God, neither am I. Amen. Celebrate communion and be done. And it's true. We need to know our position in relationship to the creator of the universe. And God certainly wants us to be in a longing, loving relationship with him. It's those moments in which I ask the question because I'm accusing God of being unjust and unfair. And I've stepped out of being humble. I've stepped out of a posture of humility, asking God to teach me. God, what are you doing in this moment in my life to teach me and to mold me and to shape me? I think that's why Paul uses the image of the potter and the clay, because it's so beautiful that... God gets to shape us and mold us into the man or woman that he's designed us to be. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. And God takes great joy in a conversation with you and I and wants nothing more than to be in a relationship with us. It is the reason why Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the reason we celebrate communion together because God wants nothing more than to be in a relationship with us he's not unjust and he gives us mercy and compassion every single day more than we can ever recount and know And it's mercy and compassion we don't deserve. We've done nothing to earn it. And so we approach this table in awe of God's goodness. We approach this table humbly aware of who God is and who we are, his chosen people, called to proclaim the good news to the world around. And it was Jesus that makes that relationship available to us here and now. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, 
please go to gmpc.org. So I have the privilege of receiving gifts from students on a regular basis because they're really kind and generous people. Um, and one student who loves me and I love them, um, and actually there are a lot of students that um, enroll in the ceramics class at Coronado High School, and they love it. Um, I don't know if it's because the teacher's amazing or if it's because people that, students that didn't know that they had some creative <laughs> bone in their body get to be creative, but one young man gave me this mug um, because he made it in his ceramics class. And I love him. He doesn't know that I don't drink coffee, um, but he, he, he does know that I've used it for a bowl of cereal once. Um, it's a big bowl of cereal. But you should have seen his face when he was finished and he gave this to me as a gift. He was so proud. He was so proud of this. And I think that's what God, how God looks at us as the potter shaping the clay looks at us and goes, I love you and I'm so proud of you. I have so many good things in store for you. The question is, Will you trust me? Will you trust that I know what I'm doing? Will you trust that I am sovereign and I know you better than, I, than you know yourself? And what you think are mistakes, what you think is a blemish, I'm going to turn it into beauty because that's what I do. My charge and my challenge for you and I this morning is to trust that God is God and that it is our responsibility, it is our calling as his chosen people to point others to Jesus. Let God be God and work out the salvation of the world because God knows best. Amen? Amen.